If you travel, you know how to really go off the grid. Like no cell service in your room, off the grid. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths, sound baths, and ice baths. Because when you set up your out-of-office, you mean it. Because when you're the escape artist, vacation is all about resting, meditating, drinking water, and minding your own businessing. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Trials to Triumphs. I'm Ashley Blaine Featherson Jenkins, but you can call me ABFJ. This week, my friend and mentor, actress Nisi Nash, talks to me about accepting grief and trusting your gift. I've been confronted with the question of how to move forward in times that are so confusing. This isn't an easy question to answer, but I realize now that all I can do is accept that this is what God wants me to experience right now. The pain, the stress, the highs, and the lows, and move forward with grace and a brand new perspective. A grace I've seen Nisi embody so many times. And letting myself feel the things that I had never allowed myself to feel for years. I couldn't get on the other side of it until I at least went back and addressed all of that pain. To protect ourselves, we often try to avoid negative feelings at all costs. But what I'm learning and what Nisi reminds me is that we're not doing ourselves any favors by playing small and avoiding reality. But I'll admit, it's definitely not easy. The guests on this podcast have taught me the importance of stepping into your light and getting what you want out of life, even when it means confronting the negativity. As Nisi says, you have to take the meat and leave the bones. In some of the hardest, most tragic moments of her life, Nisi learned to make the best of what she was handed, lean into the grief, and ultimately allow herself to shine. And in our Sankofa moment, Nisi opens up about a comedian from the past. You know, he reminded me a lot of my dad mm. growing up. I just thought that there was so much respect and reverence for him. Hi, Nisi. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> Hi. I'm so happy you're here. Um, I have to tell the story of how we met, which it was in 2010. So it was your 40th birthday. Um, my aunt Cece, Cecilia Holloway, I needed a job. I was new to L.A., um, you know, I guess I had probably only been here a couple of months and she hooked me up with her friend, Mr. William P. Miller, who is a really good friend of yours, who was planning your birthday party that year. Yeah. And every birthday party I probably ever had. Wow. Yes. And so he was like, Hey, Ashley, you want to make some money? I'm doing a birthday party. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm broke. Whatever you need me to do. 
I think I was like in charge of like putting together like the swag bags after the party and lining them up and giving them to people and whatever. But anyway, I want to say he didn't tell me it was your party until I got there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you were so sweet when we met. But anyway, years have obviously passed. It's been 12 years now. And we now have so many mutual friends and we're kind of in the same circles. And you were so kind to me then. You've been so kind to me ever since. And you've become really, I truly asked you to be a mentor to me a couple months ago. And you were like, yes, I will. And we went to lunch uh, probably a week following and nothing has ever been the same, Nisi. So I just want to say, I adore you. I love you. You have been a wealth of knowledge and just guidance for me before you were in my life and now that you are in my life. So I just want to say thank you so much. Well, you are more than welcome. I want to start with like an icebreaker question. Okay. So... I know that you and Jessica, your wife, who's also just the sweetest person on planet Earth, just so, <laughs> so sweet, so fun. You got, you all are truly, the way you are, the way you all are on Instagram is exactly the way you are in real life. But anyway, so I saw that you and Jessica were doing a lot of quarantine dates. So I want to know if you could pick your favorite, one that really sticks out, what was maybe your favorite one during quarantine? Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> my favorite probably quarantine date was when Jessica discovered that the pool had three waterfalls. I, I never even knew it. I, I just was like, I don't know. You know, I stayed in the hot tub because I was here alone. She went outside and was like, wait a minute, this is something. Let me, and started clicking around and realized that the pool had three waterfalls. I'm like, Oh my God, it's a party. So once the waterfalls came on and that water started coming out, <laughs> I'm like, well, turn on the Sonos. Let's put some music on. Okay, well, wait, what are we going to eat? You want crabs? She put some mm. crabs on the grill. The waterfalls were going. And I think we probably stayed in the pool all night. Like mm. till, like, you know, the wee hours. Wow. It was like, you know, I mean, and it was skinny dipping because nobody was coming <laughs> over. It was COVID. So just being naked and eating crabs under the waterfall, it was it was great. Oh, that sounds amazing. This is why I keep telling Daryl with our next house, I'm like, we have to have a pool so that we can be in the pool skinny dipping until the wee hours of the morning. Hey, HBCU fam, get ready to turn up the energy. McDonald's and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund have $1 million in scholarships at 53 HBCUs for 66 brilliant students. This year, you could be one of them. But time is running out. Did we mention the $1 million in scholarships? Apply by March 27th at tmcf.org. Nisi, I... Here's the thing. I feel like to know you truly is to love you, but also you are very open about your beginnings and what you've been through and how what you've been through has truly made you who you are today. And I really respect that and I admire it. You never try to um, diminish any part of your life. And mm -hmm. so I want you to tell me a little bit about your childhood. Um, I, do, you, do you still kind of claim St. Louis as well? Or are you really just an L.A. girl? What do you say? 
I was born in L.A., but mm-hmm. I uh, the early years I spent in St. Louis and then I moved back to L.A. Okay. So I claim both. Um, if somebody said, what's one of the best things to come out of Compton, I would raise my hand. <laughs> uh, but if somebody said what you know about the STL, I would also raise my hand mm. because St. Louis had a big impact on my life. You know, when I went there, I was living with my grandmother who at, at present is now in, in hospice care, but mm. I've had her my entire life. And she was my first caregiver. She gave me my first uh, clip in ponytails. Uh, that's my girl. <laughs> So I, I I definitely claim St. Louis, but those beginnings, you know, I've made a living primarily being funny. But when I was being raised, I did not know that being funny was a gift because I got punished for it a lot. I got pinched in church, you know, for, you know, cutting up. I got put on punishment for talks too much being on my report card. And my mother was like, well, what was you talking about? I was telling jokes. <laughs> oh, you, you, go get the belt. I'm going to show you what's funny. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know comedy was a thing growing up, but I do remember with my grandmother watching the soap operas and they were preempted by something. And I saw the most gorgeous woman I had ever seen in my five years of living. Black mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. I saw black people on TV, but they didn't look like that. Mm-hmm. And she had on a long red dress and her eyelashes looked like butterflies. And I said, Grandmama, who is that? She said, baby, that's Lola Falana. And in that moment, I felt like God stamped on the canvas of my imagination, my destiny. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my grandmother and I said, I want to be black, fabulous, and on TV. Oof. And they doubted me. They were like, that girl so shy. She not, and they used to say all the time, she ain't gonna do nothing. Mm. And baby, I did it three and four times. You understand me? So, Nisi, I wanna get into that. I think what you're talking about, I think a lot of Black folks can relate to. You know, the response from family at times being opposite of what you see for yourself. And I think a lot of that is generational trauma, right? It's, it's almost like a form of protection, maybe. Maybe if we say, baby, that 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 not gonna work out, then we're not as it, we're not as stressed out, maybe when it doesn't. But I, I wanna know, were you always able to push that aside? Or did it ever creep in the self-doubt that maybe you were getting from others? You know, um one of the things that I'm glad that God gave me was a resilient spirit. Mm-hmm. You don't want a minute of my bounce back. Mm-hmm. You don't want a minute of, of, of my comeback because that part of me, I don't take credit for at all. I know that it was an innate thing that said, um, I don't care what happens. You keep pressing forward. And um you know, and I think when you when you start talking about the people who, who are in your life, who are your primary caregivers, they were taught to be safe and unseen. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Keep yes. your head down. Get you a good government job. Don't ruffle no feathers. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Keep it nice. Keep it tight. Keep it right. But the idea of entertainment was so far-fetched because no one in my family had ever done it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there was a part of it that they thought they were loving me because it was a space that they couldn't help me win. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to be a school teacher? Now, all you got to do is go down there. You know, Miss Brown run the program at the thing. And, you know, you can go on and take them classes and, you, you know, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Be kind-hearted, baby. Why don't you go into nursing? Mm-hmm. You know, your grandmama was a nurse. You know, that kind of thing. Because that's what they knew. So nobody knows how to tell you what they don't know. And I am grateful that I never leaned into mama esteem, them esteem, Mm. us esteem. It was my own self. Mm -hmm. It was my self-esteem that said, no, no, no. Press toward the mark, no matter what. And those were the mm. three words that I live by. I don't care if you cried. I don't care if nobody believe in you. I don't care if you got to do it by yourself. You know what I mean? No matter what. Press towards the mark. Press. But also something else in thinking about this conversation was trust your gift. I think that the trust, which is really faith, is the hardest part. So I, I want you to take me back to L.A., I want to know first, what has what would you say L.A. has given you? And I also want to know what about Los Angeles and the land of entertainment helped or at times hindered you from trusting your gift? Well, L.A. gave me many things. It gave me community. It gave me a willingness to dream. And so, you know, God has been kind in that way. That vision and that dream, uh, I was very flat-footed in it, even at a young age. And I wasn't a, I, I never worked as an actor as a kid. You know what I mean? I don't think I did my first um, job until I was in my 20s. Mm. But I never lost sight of it. And L.A. was the place that it was that that gift was allowed to maturate and 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 ultimately manifest. and. The trusting my gift really happened when my brother was murdered in 93. Mm. I could not pay anyone to put me on television in a dramatic role because that's how I saw myself. I never thought being funny was anything. And when my brother was murdered, uh, he was 17, caught in a love triangle at 17. And... My mother was in such a depression. She said, I'm getting into bed and I'm never getting out. Mm. And I didn't know what to do. My brother was murdered the day before my 23rd birthday. So I said, well, what I do know is that I can make my mother laugh. Mm. So I began performing at the foot of her bed every day. Jokes, stories, bits, acts, tap dancing on a Cheerio, whatever it was. One day I come to my mother's house and, you know, she wasn't as stretched out. Get up there and do your rendition of things. Bring me some peanuts and some water. I'm like, okay. And I keep it going. Mm -hmm. I come back again and my mother's not in the bed. I'm in here. 
We're in here. And I said, who is we? Well, I went across the street and got the neighbors. I told them you was funny. Get that mm. karaoke microphone and get up there and tell these people some jokes. Mm. So I stood on the fireplace with her karaoke microphone. And I was like, uh, how's everybody doing in the room? <laughs> you know, is this thing on? And as I was standing there, I heard a voice in my spirit as audible as my own that said, Nisi, don't be a selfish heifer. It's other people suffering in the world. Go out there and spread this around. Mm. And that is the moment when I decided to trust the thing that everybody kept telling me was just me cutting up, me acting up. That girl's so silly. She's so foolish. She can't keep still. You know, I was like, wait a minute. Because I heard the same thing I heard when I saw Lola Falana. Mm. So let me go outside and say that I'm funny and see what happens. Mm. And I did that. And people said, oh, yes, you are, girl. Come here and and let me give you this job. And that is how I began my career. Mm. By trusting my gift. Wow, Nisi, that's an amazing story. Uh, and and it comes up a lot here on the pod, which is like the power of the tongue, saying things out loud. I think you are someone who is a shining testament of that, of I would say everything that I know you've said you wanted or believed for yourself or that you knew God had intended for your life has come to pass. Um, but it also takes a willingness, right? It takes a willingness to listen to that voice, to not go against the gut, to not always believe outside voices and perspectives and opinions about what God has already put over your life. And I just, um, that's probably one of the things I'm most inspired by with you is just how you've been able to overcome, 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 kick down negative thoughts, kick down negative opinions, and just keep pressing forward. I want to talk more, Nisi, about that time in your life, though, when your brother was murdered. You're talking about how you helped your mother heal, and I'm sure you helped a whole lot of other people heal. But how did you heal? Girl, I didn't. Mm. I didn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't heal. I decided that once I realized that I could make people laugh, and that was the thing, I was like, I'm going to live right here. I'm not going to go past this mark. So it was, I just decided that I was going to laugh every day. And, you know, it almost felt like I was doing a slow dance with death because the feelings and the emotions were chasing me. Mm-hmm. And I was running like, you know, Flojo. I was like, I got to get out of here because I don't want to feel that because I'm afraid that if I if I let myself feel it, once I start crying, I'll never stop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was kind of like the tears of a clown. I just, mm-hmm. I stayed in one mode, you know, and even in my first marriage, if my Ex-husband would say, hey, you know, something is going on and we we need to have a serious talk. I would say, we need to talk. Hey, we need to talk. Hey, we need to talk. And he would be like, could you knock it off? And I would, I, and I didn't know how to knock it off. Mm. So that took a, that took many, many years to confront and to get on the other side of. 
Mm. Was there an incident or something that happened in your life that forced you to? Or did you just decide this is the day that I'm going to do it? I was having a brunch, Sunday brunch, in at a restaurant called Eminem's in Ladera, mm-hmm. California. Good soul food. Mm-hmm. Good soul food. And people used to ask me all the time, what's wrong? You okay? Because there was just a dark cloud over me. And mm. I would pull up and go into my bed. And my ex-husband said to me, you know, people think that you know, you're troubled or you have an attitude or the way you come across, like it's, it's, there's a heaviness. And I said, with all of the energy I could muster, including shaking my neck around, I don't care what nobody think about me. And he leaned across the table and touched my hand and said, but you should. Mm. My bottom lip started to quiver. Mm. Because I knew he was right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The lie don't hit you the same way the truth does. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to get it together. Mm. And what did that look like, Nisi? What were the steps after that? Um, being honest mm. about how I was really feeling and letting myself feel the things that I had never allowed myself to feel for years. I couldn't get on the other side of it until I at least went back and addressed all of that pain. Wow. Wow. That was the genesis. I think for a lot of people, they fear, they feel confronting the pain after the fact more than just Allowing themselves to go through it initially. Because we don't, because we don't want to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about it. As soon as a baby, you know, fall on the ground or you have to take the toy away because it's time to go to bed and they start to cry. What's the first thing we say? Don't cry. It's okay. Don't cry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You would even get it, you know, back in my day, you know, it's not popular to spank now, but you would get a spanking. And then they would say, and stop all that crying. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, when is going to be a good time for it? Mm. Yeah. You know, so stepping on how you feel has always been ingrained in my life. You know, so yes, you fear it. Because the first time you feel that kind of hurt, that kind of pain, that kind of trauma, You say, I never want to feel this again. Yeah, you don't want to. What's your relationship like now with um, trauma and confronting really difficult things, which I know you, that wasn't the last time you went through something traumatic or difficult. So how do you approach it now? Oh, girl, I welcome it like an old friend. Mm. Come on in and sit on down. Yeah. Let's go on and work through it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if I need to feel the thing, I feel the thing. Now, I don't give myself permission to stay there. Yeah. You got but so long to tarry. And then we got to get up and get after it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm a I'm an advocate for therapy. I'm an advocate for journaling. I'm an advocate for prayer, meditation, whatever it takes for you to 
feel the thing, understand the thing, but don't just feel it. Find a lesson. Mm. So you don't have to revisit the same thing over and over. Wow. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage, but there's so much. There's always healing on the other side. There's always healing on the other side. You just have to be willing to go through it. We we fear it. And it depends on how you were socialized. Because if you were socialized with people who sweep it under the rug, you just try to act like you don't see the elephant in the room. If you were socialized by people who self-medicated, then you need a drink or a this or a pill or a that. Yeah. To just be steady and even and make it through. So it just depends on what you were baptized into because we watch the people around us and how they deal with trauma and we follow suit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the women in my family found their healing or their not, I'm not even going to say healing, but their value mm. in men. Wow. So you get one and you keep one. And if they want you, then 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 that is the thing that makes you the thing. Mm. So it just depends on, you know, we all were raised in a different way. And gotcha. then as an adult, yeah. you have to unpack that and fit, you know, you take the meat and you leave the bones. You leave the part that doesn't serve you and you find the thing that does. But you have to give yourself permission to do that and know mm. that it's optional. You know, mm. it's optional for you to stay there. Yeah. That's a free will choice. Being born into it, no. But living in it, that's on you. From what I know, kind of, you know, about your life, it seems like maybe early on you you took the meat and didn't quite leave the bones yet as far as like maybe your, I know your first marriage, right? I know it just being such a learning experience for you. You learned a lot about yourself. You learned about yourself as a mother, as a wife. What would you say was your greatest lesson during that time? In my first marriage? I would probably say the greatest lesson in my first marriage, I learned the difference between being long-suffering and suffering long. Break it down, Nisi. What is it? Long suffering is when you dig in your heels to tarry and work through that thing. Let's get it going. Let's figure it out. I know, you know, we may still hit some bumps in the road, but we're trying to do the thing and do the thing and do the thing. When you realize that the thing is never going to be the thing and you Mm. stay, now you're suffering long. Because there is no out. You know, I was married to a pastor. So being the first lady of a church, there is so much put on you that, you know, God hates divorce and divorce is a sin. And you, you know what I mean? You got to stay and you can't leave the husband. You can't leave the church. You can't leave the people. And I was dying on the vine. Mm. And I said, this can't be the life that God called me to have. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what I learned in the first marriage. And the second marriage, what I learned was the difference between companionship and partnership. Ooh. 
Get into that, Nisi. Uh, companion. Come along with me to do to do the stuff I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I want to go to the beach. You got some shorts? I want to learn how to cook. Can you come with me to this culinary class? I, you know, come with me on my journey and accompany me in the matter. Partnership is building together. It's a co-laboring together. It's, it's, it's equity mm. in the thing. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, if you see a 20-something-year-old young, hot girl with an 80-year-old man, that's companionship. That's not partnership. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you see somebody watching the kids so you could go out and then you come back and you watch the kids so they can go out and 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 fulfill their thing and we're trying to put money together and we're, you know, we both have uh, skin in the game. Mm. That's partnership. And I I had a companion in my in my second marriage for a long time. But I wanted partnership. Wow. And how did you that's whoo, that's really good. And I'm really happy you broke it down that way because it makes me, it just solidifies that I know that what Daryl and I have is a partnership. We always have, really. Um, but especially now that we're married, we really have this really good synergy going on and we want to gladly be partners in everything. He said to me last night, Daryl said, we were watching a show and the husband had kept a really, really, really dark secret from his wife. And he paused it and he looked at me and said, I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. Don't keep it from me. We can handle whatever it is together. But I've got to know what you're going through. I've got to know what the deep, dark secret is because I'm your Hello, husband. Girl. And I, I, right. I said, I literally just kissed him and said, I am just so grateful that you're my husband because just even him seeing that in the show and making a point to say, I just want to make it very clear. We're not going to do that. We're in a partnership here. If you're going through something, I'm going through it. If I'm going through something, you're going through it. Um, And it means a lot to me. And so I want to know now with your wife, Jessica, did you seek partnership and not companionship? Or did Jessica just show you what partnership was and that that's what you needed? Well, let me first say that I lovingly call Jessica my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondarily, I will say before she came into my life, I had decided that I wouldn't be in any relationship, friendship. I, I don't care what it was that did not have reciprocity. Okay. You know, when you're a giver, you can give a lot, especially to people who are open to receive it. That doesn't necessarily mean they know how to give it back. But I was very clear about partnership and reciprocity for me. Had nothing to do with her. I didn't even know she was coming. I set a guideline and a boundary for myself. And she showed up mm-hmm. in a different way than she had before. Because we were friends for about four and a half years before we before I ever looked at her and my eyes crossed. Mm. I wasn't thinking about her from the man in the moon. And she's the first person I've ever been with who I was legitimately friends with first. 
Mm. I start at hello, lover, because <laughs> <laughs> I got enough friends. You want to be my sweet thing? Mm. I start there. But I didn't start there with her because I was already married when we met and I was trying to make my thing work. So when she came along and I saw her with, not came along out of nowhere, but when I saw her with fresh eyes, yeah, I already knew what the mandate was for myself moving forward. Mm-hmm. And she stepped right in and said, as it should be. Amen. Amen. You're so happy, Nisi, and it's so obvious. And, you know, everybody loves happy. Everybody <laughs> loves it. You can't, it's one of those things where a smile, it's smiles are infectious. Happiness is infectious. Um, and you're someone who's always given that. And to see you in a space where you're so loved and loving so much, it's just, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. It really, really is. And I'm so happy for you. Well, first of all, let me say thank you. And I am <laughs> equally as happy for you. Thank you. And I'm going to say, I, it's interesting because a lot of people ask me, well, well, how do you identify? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I just got here. I, I, mm-hmm. let, me, let, me, let me walk down all the letters. You know, and right now I just say LBGTQIA plus Nisi. because I haven't figured it out yet. But what I do know is that I'm a lover Mm, and I met the most beautiful soul. But the one thing, it was funny. I, someone asked my daughter the other day, you know, what is the thing that, you know, the biggest takeaway that your mother has ever given you? And my baby girl said, never give up on love. That's a good gift. Well, because I tell people it is the thing we were created for. My due is to be an actress. You know what I mean? Your due could be to work in the medical field or the this or the that, but your who is to be of service in the world and to love. That is the thing we were created for. The rest of this is fluff. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a nice mm. but it is not what we were created for. And yeah. don't you ever give up on that thing that you were created for. Yeah, that's so good. Nisi, before we go, when I think of Black Hollywood, to me, you're at like, you're right at the top of the triangle. Like you are everything. When I think of chasing my dreams, who is who has come before me and whose footsteps I'm trying to follow in. So I want you to tell me, the best career advice someone in our community has ever given you and what you would give to someone coming up behind you? Well, the best career advice I would probably say is ask for what you want and be unapologetic about wanting it. Because a lot of times in our industry, um, we may say, you know, I'm not really having a great experience with this makeup artist that they've given me, but I don't want to rock the boat. Mm. Or I would like to go out for these types of roles a little more often. I'm not getting auditions for that, but I don't want to call my agent because I don't want them to get upset. And the truth of the matter is, is that all of it is working for your good. You know, you don't have a job because you have in most cases, you know, uh, someone 
who represents you, they have a job because you're a working actor. Mm. Now you got something to manage. You 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 kind of see what I'm saying? So it oh, is yeah. just <laughs> learning that place and that footing in asking for things that we think I don't want to rock the boat and I don't want to speak up and I don't want to, you know what I mean? Um, and if I had to give someone advice, I would say first be a prepared place. I understand that we live in a microwave generation, but if you want to make it in this business, study to show yourself approved in the thing. Mm. that's one. Two, I would always say, get in where you fit in. So if you have more of a look and less of, you know, a, a skill set and a pedigree with, with comedy or drama, then, then get you a commercial agent while you master the other mm-hmm. side. Start wherever you, your, your strongest, wherever your strongest quality is, your strongest yeah. gift is. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say is trust your gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trust it because it is the thing that will make room for you. Mm-hmm. And baby steps is still progress. Yeah. Yeah. That's still considered progress. Oof. Nisi, what would you say has been your takeaway from our conversation today? Honestly, I think it is understanding how you're seen in the world. Mm. Because when you speak of me or about me, I'm like, oh, okay. Because, you know, you never know how your essence, your being, your um, your energy, your work, your art is, is really seen in the world. You don't know how people see you. Because we wake up in our own, with our own view, in our own prism, in our own reflection. Um, so it is, it is, it is a gift to know how you're seen in the world. Because one of the things that I say to my better half is the reason that I married you is because this is the first relationship where I felt fully seen. Mm-hmm. Here's the uptick, but also here are my bullet holes, my stab wounds, my mayhem, my foolishness. You saw it all and still said, I choose you. Mm -hmm. So how you're seen matters. Yeah. You know, and your takeaway from my Instagram and your takeaway from seeing me do a talk or hear me on a podcast, it matters because in all of it, there may be something for others to do like I did. Yeah. Take the meat and lead the bones. Lead the bones. Yeah. Take Ooh. what's for you. Mm-hmm. That's good, Nisi. My takeaway would be to remember that the dots are always connecting. I think that your life is a testament to that. That even when it felt like the dots weren't connecting to get you to where God had always intended you to be, they were. And there's always going to come a time that you can look over your life and through all the trials while you're standing in a triumph and say, thank you, God, for connecting those dots. Even when I didn't believe they would be connected, you did it. And 
I just want to thank you for being a reminder and a shining example of that, Nisi. It's so important in a world and in a time that is so dark to see someone who has faith, is trusting, and continuing to evolve Despite what the world may say, you are evolving in the into the best version of Nisi over and over and over and over and over again. And I just love you for that. So I want to say I thank you, Nisi. I love you so much and I honor you deeply. I really do. Thank you. And I'm gonna need you to I'm gonna need you to call me a little more often. I will, Nisi. I we know. Schedule, we got to schedule these check-ins. We got to schedule the check-ins. And I also just need to pull up on you. I just got to pull up. <laughs> got to pull and up and hop it. in the waterfall. Dive in the waterfall. Yes. Come on through. After the credits, Nisi plans the hottest comedy skit in history in our Sankofa moment. Stay with us. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by LWC Studios for OWN. The show's executive producer is Juleka Lentigua. This episode was edited by Verilyn Williams, mixed by Cedric Wilson and Kojin Tashiro. Managing producers are Camille Stennis and Paulina Velasco. Assistant producers are Michelle Baker and Shanice Tyndall. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, and we hope you did, please make sure you subscribe, leave a rating, and review wherever you listen to your podcast to ensure you hear the next one. If you could do a comedy skit with any comedian from history, who would it be? A comedy skit? Yeah. Anybody? Anybody. I would probably say Richard Pryor. Mm, I can see that. It would be glorious. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why Richard Pryor? You know, he reminded me a lot of my dad Mm. growing up. You know, um, not just, you know, the visual, the mustache and the shag and all that, the, the, all that stuff. But I just thought that there was so much respect and reverence for him. Maybe even I would add to that Red Fox because Ooh. he was in that same category that my parents just thought that they were everything. And I, you know, and I would have to sneak because that's back when you used to put comedy on albums, honey, with the cussing and everything. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? You used to have to sneak and put your ear to the door to listen to everything they were saying, you know? And I love that they had the ability to make people feel something. Just like you do, Nisi. Well, thank you. 